big. You can hear. Every, I mean, there's so much traffic outside. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's a good day. Uh, Paul, give us a little talkie talkie so I can get. Hello, hello. Paulia, over. Roger, check one, two. <laughs> Tim, you're good? One, one, two, 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 three, Beautiful. Three, three. We got it all there. We have recording. That's recording. All right, I'll do a little introduction and mm-hmm. then I'll introduce you. Welcome to the next episode of Comedy Guy with Lewis Cesare. And I'm here with Tim Reedy in the studio. There we go. There's Tim. And on the Tim and Lewis show today, we have a very special guest, Paul Sanosi. He is uh, South African, lives here, and you may know him from his Boba Tea Pies down in Baltiyam in uh, Tallinn. Lewis. Fantastic. What? Bobotia. 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 <laughs> you can manage Parno. You can't manage Bobotia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It'll take me some years. Bobotia. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> okay, good. And he makes the pies. If you've been buying pies from either the van or downstairs in Baltiam, uh, Paul is the man who, behind it, the chef, the the the, the thinking, the big picture, Paul, mm-hmm. welcome to the podcast. Well, I know thank it's all you for having me. Good. We're all a bit weird here with microphones stuck in our faces. Uh-huh. We've just—it's the warmest day. It's this Tuesday when everything's warm. We've just been having a couple of drinks at Unipedium outside. Mm-hmm. It's delightful. Good day for it. Now you've got a—I uh, know—in a little while you need to go cook. So you've got to make some pies this afternoon. Is this your daily schedule? Yes. On a Wednesday we start with the preparations for the ingredients for the pies, not the actual baking. Mm-hmm. But the actual cooking of the ingredients. So uh, my assistant chef will be there in the next hour, uh, doing the cutting, chopping, and prepping. You know, I'm fortunate enough to have found a half South African, half Namibian to um, to assist. Uh, I found him two weeks ago. So now I have the um, opportunity to take a bit of time out. It must be huge if he's half South African, half Namibian. <laughs> it's usually my experience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think he's a bit of hereru. Uh, from Namibia, so uh-huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so so uh, now you you've been to how long have you been making the pies for? Well, I've uh, let's go back to food. I I always knew when I came to Estonia that food will be the thing that I will do eventually. Mm. Um, so with the pies, I started roughly one year ago, uh, around about at the end of April last year. Um, after leaving the education sector in Estonia. So uh, this is what took me there. Um, you know, so say roughly one year. Okay, not bad for a year. Not mm-hmm, bad, mm-hmm. kind of. Was it was getting to, to Baltiam sort of your first preference? Is this what you always envisaged? Yes. Um, when I started out, I didn't have a space, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, I didn't have a place even to cook. Uh, and so I knocked on the doors of a restaurant Frenchie and started using their kitchen from around four o'clock in the morning. Uh, that was quite a bit of a nightmare. Dang. Yeah, that's cooking and making pies in the morning. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I started with Frenchie and uh, also selling from the African shop downstairs. Um, I, he offered me a little space, a table, a stand mm-hmm. uh, where I could put my pie warmer. And uh, this is how we started out, you know. Some days you sold almost no pies at the beginning, but nobody knew what pies yeah, were, sure. you know. There's an African shop downstairs in French, is there? No, no just no, down here. Just down here. Just here? In Teleskivi, yeah. next there's the nu- there's the cafe, there's the nudist, and next to the N- nudist. Oh. Next to the nudist, yeah. Oh, okay. Corner. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, okay. yeah. Africa board. <laughs> Africa <Yeah>. board. Africa <laughs> board. Absolutely. And this is where we started, you know, and uh, it's been a year now. So I always knew that this would be a good area to launch the product. And uh, eventually, um, when the truck came and we got permission to um, park the truck at Baltimore Tour, um, you know, 
it was a it was a good time of the year, like now with the weather being so great. But tables and chairs outside, it it drew people in instantly because, you know, people want to uh, discover something new. That's very much part of uh, the Estonian uh, culture of exploring new foods and so on. And so it it went well from there after the truck came to to Baltiamatur. I'll tell you what, how I, because I, I used to pass your truck mm-hmm. and uh, on on the scooter. I, I do scoot. I'm yeah. a big boy, but they can, <laughs> they can take me. It's all right. And I, every, I, I saw the little you used to have a little South African flag on the corner. Yeah, yeah. And I thought it was a piss take. I thought it was some bloke <laughs> who just left his <laughs> his house truck. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, because it, it, it was always closed when I passed by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then one day I'm like, hold on a second, let me have a look. Mm-hmm. And I come up closer and I see Bobotia Pie. I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and then I came back the first time, and I was like, "All right, we got pies finally." Yeah. Time, you know? no, initially, it was uh, it was a bit hard to um, to trade every day. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it takes quite a bit of energy because I'm I was working for close to one year. I was doing almost everything by myself: cleaning the kitchen, washing the floors, uh, cutting, prepping, cooking, making pies. So it takes eighteen to twenty hours of your yeah. day. You know, so you have to do the hustle as an entrepreneur. So it it, it really took a bit much. And then when I got my first employee, uh, things became a bit lighter, mm. and uh, and to the point where I have a bit of free time also now. Mm. I suppose for you as well, a year isn't a year really because it's, it's too cold in winter for if you have a truck back then at least. Yes, I I actually stuck it out until the end of December in the food truck. You know, Not bad. It was minus five inside the <laughs> truck because I showed you up know? one morning and he was outside filling up a drum with water. Yeah. And I was like, how are you alive? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, the oven must warm the truck. He's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it remained at minus five inside the truck. So okay. it was quite a challenge, you know, to hang in there until the end of December. Then I knew Jan and Feb might get a bit colder. <laughs> and I went to speak to the management of Baltima Turk and I say, Sander, listen here. Uh, I have to come inside. And that's where I got to the spot inside in Baltia. Okay, so then right now, just if, if people haven't seen your pies there, if you go into Baltiamatorg, you're downstairs next to the Selva. Yeah, there's a Turkish uh, guy next to me um, selling some Turkish delights and, and, and beautiful Turkish things. So I'm right next to him, and uh, we will remain there throughout the season. And, uh, you know, we bring the truck back, of course, for the summer season, spring, summer, and, and early parts of autumn, hopefully not until December again. And um, so we will start off um, the truck on the 20th of May, um, right here in Teleskivi, uh, in front of, uh, is it Poodle Bar? Poodle, yeah. Poodle, yeah. We will start there on the 20th of May. We will remain there for uh, at least two weeks until the end of May 31st. And uh, if things go well or not well, I don't know. Uh, We will definitely go back to Baltium and... uh, this time around, we also do some outside grilling, which is um, mm. called braai in South Africa. So we'll braai, yeah. braai, is that the, the name of the sausage or the, the technique? That's, or that's what we do. South Africa, we are known for braaiing and uh, outdoor cooking. Uh, so um, in this case, launching the braai would be upfront the buru mm-hmm. uh, the sausage that is uh, so famous from South Africa. I think uh, you... Have had a chance I to taste indeed. it. Yes, I have. Why is yes. what's what goes into it? Why is a South African vorsti? It's the herbs and spices that we use, um, and the combination of fat, the ratio of fat versus um, beef. Um, it's it's just an, a taste explosion. You know, uh, nobody in South Africa um, will go past a nice warm weekend without grilling outside, mm-hmm. and burvors would be a staple in this brine. Because you know, Estonian sausages mm-hmm. are probably one percent meat. 
99% suffering. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it would be nice. No offense to Stoney, but your sausages yeah. are fucking terrible. Rock, so it would be nice to have Get on it. So what's the, so yeah, you talked about the ratio of fat and meat. Mm-hmm. So what's, without giving away your trade secrets, of yeah. course, in general, why was there more meat, more fat? What's the? Uh, it's 80% meat and 20% fat. And you need this fat when you grow. Yep. Otherwise, the sausage will be bone dry. Mm. So this fat, the main uh, reason for the fat is to make sure that the, f- the meat, once you take it off the, the grill, that there's still some juice inside. And also to add some flavor for sure. Could you tell me what the difference is between, because there's biltong and yeah. then there's droivors. Yeah. What's the difference? Let's call it, uh, yeah. The, the biltong is a piece of meat mm-hmm. that is dried, a whole piece of meat. Uh, whereas burvors, not burvors, but um, druvors. Druvors, sorry. Druvors, My yes. pronunciation is. Uh, when with druvors, you have um, the same like a burvors almost, a sausage. But it's smoked or? Uh, it's not smoked, it's dried. Okay. Same kinds of herbs and spices that you find on biltong, more or less, uh, inside and case inside the casing. Oh, okay. And this is dried out, hang for some time until it's nice and, you know, awesomely good. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to go there, Lewis. We're yeah, go. you're going to be grilling. That's mm-hmm. tremendous. So, I mean, that's going to be more work for you because you're going to be out there. Now you're doing the grilling as well. There's no of more course, se- of course. And I, I will bring uh, two more persons in for the season oh. starting from next week. Um, one lady to work downstairs in Baltium replacing me, mm-hmm. uh, I hope, <laughs> doing a good job at that. And then also uh, a second chef on the truck because we'll have a, a wider menu. As Of course, the pies, uh, some desserts and drinks and... Um, the Burvors with chakalaka on top. and um, What's chakalaka again? Chakalaka is a chunky, um, spicy vegetable mix. Oh, it's like a salsa kind of, right? Yeah, 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 with yeah, yeah. green peppers, red peppers, yellow peppers, some onions, some garlic, and some beans, and a nice gravy kind of sauce. And uh, it just adds, oh, it's amazing. Yeah, I'd love in the middle of winter a poti. Mm-hmm. A poti is like the history of the, it's it's a pot basically mm-hmm. like with a stew in it. Okay, mm-hmm. but the history of it is amazing because it, it was a uh, create. I mean, I'm sp- he should be telling this story, but mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> uh, it was created by the uh, the Voortrekkers, the, the the Dutch settlers who mm-hmm. left the the Western Cape to go off with the Osava. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they would basically ride their horses mm-hmm. and sit on this meat, and it would tender slowly tenderize the meat as they rode. <laughs> and then in the evening, they would chuck it all into a pot and cook it, uh. and then it carried the pot with them wherever they went. Huh. So it was this like, there's a word for it, isn't it? Like a, a forever stew, or a, mm-hmm. there's like a word for it. So it's a, a constantly cooking stew mm-hmm, that right. keeps getting better and better and better. Huh. Yeah. But like for cold winter months, something like that would fuck. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, it's it's very seldom that you find a household without a poiki, a three-legged pot, mm. or poiki as we call it, and um, stew from a pot. You sit there, you sit for hours, you watch the pot, and while you're watching, of course, you do the next best thing, which is uh, having a few glasses of something good. Of course. You know? So this is the tradition in South Africa that um, it's probably something that I will bring with me now uh, to the truck during the season yeah. because I have a few of these three-legged pots and uh, we will include this in the in the repertoire of our food that we have available this summer. Because oh, what when Tim first told me, you got to get the pies, get the, go down, there's the pie guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, with all uh, respect to your South African traditions mm-hmm. and, and the traditional recipe and so forth, I mean, what hit me is it's the closest thing to an Aussie meat pie yeah. that I've had in Estonia that I was like, okay, it's packaged up different. Mm-hmm. It's not the little foil thing. It's not round, mm-hmm. but 
if you give me that good mince pie, I was like, whoa, this mm-hmm. is just like Aussie meat pie. Yeah, yeah, very. And I guess there's some sort of common heritage there or so if you go back and back and back. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I, I have the same kind of feedback from most of the Australians who come <laughs> and the English as well, you know, um, that I would say that if you look at the Commonwealth and uh, we all form part of that history, um, the export of, 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 of food uh, from the UK to Australia, New Zealand, uh, South Africa, and so on, we we, show, we sort of share a common food history, and uh, I I would not lay claim to um, the pies as being a South African invention for <laughs> sure, you know. So I would say the English uh, played a huge part in in in, in our yeah. food traditions and culture. How how traditional are your recipes to what they are back home? Like I mean, chicken and mushroom. The curry one was the one that threw me a bit. I was like, curry mm-hmm. in a pie? That's mental. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Baboti is, uh, I would say, a later addition to the pie family in South Africa. I went last Feb, March to just refresh my uh, my uh, culinary history uh, on food, and I went pie tasting for two weeks. So five, six pies, different pie places a day. In it, When you were at home in South Africa, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yes. in South Africa. Okay, yes. uh, just to get a feel again for what pie should taste like. And I can tell you something that um, before this, I had babuti all the time, and I'm accustomed to babuti, but honestly never had it in a pie. So, sorry. I never had it in a pie, and it's only here when I came back, I had it in a few of these farm stalls, and it was just an amazing experience. This is something that I would like to bring back, and hence also the name of the company, you know, named after this babuti. Uh, Explain the, I guess, I'd be, I don't know, what's the Boboti specifically? Yeah, Boboti is the oldest recorded uh, recipe in South African culinary history. Okay. So yeah, probably dating back to 1672 roundabout when the, um, when the Dutch who settled in the Cape brought the people from Java, Indonesia, Malaysia and so on to the Cape and they brought with them um, their own food. Uh, history and culture uh, like um, spices that were not common mm. in the Cape and they brought also uh, things like chutney mm. blood young mm-hmm. as it was called back then uh, and on a Sunday they didn't have access to meat and then the leftover meat from the Sunday meals they took with them on Monday chopped it up yeah. and added their spices tamarind uh, curry uh, and so on and, and, and also fruits Mm-hmm. And this is actually the birthplace then of a dish called baboti, served with some carrots, glazed carrots, with some beetroot, yellow rice. Uh, with so raisins. is it close to being the mince in a mint in a meat pie or something? Is yeah, that it is something in that area and covered with a custard layer? Right. Oh, so, so just taking the mince out and do okay. Yeah, right. you, you you cook the mince pie. Uh, you cook the mince for the mince pie with all these beautiful ingredients, and then um, you put it in a square dish. Um, covered with this custard layer, mm. then bake it in the oven, hmm. and that's that's how traditionally you would eat a baboti, but normally it's not served in a pie. Hmm. And I thought this would be a winner if we yeah. could bring this back as a pie to Estonia. What it is? Yeah. I can tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so are all those okay? So baboti pies. So you you first tried the. Did you see a baboti pie in South Africa, or you had the I, idea? I went. I went to yeah. taste it. Today. Right to taste them. There. And I thought this is just beyond awesome. And I thought this would be a lead for our business, you mm. know. This would be the, the main pie. 
in our staple of pies. Which is what do you call then, like when I look down your recipe menu yeah. or your menu when I'm buying a pie, which one is the baboti? It's the beef pie. The beef pie. Yeah, okay, it's the beef right. pie. I mean, we have other pies also that contains beef, like the steak pie, mm -hmm. which would be a full beef fillet inside a pie with a very beautiful gravy. Uh, but this would be the lead beef pie then. Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah, love it. <laughs> it is good stuff. Yeah. yeah. So uh, how long have you been in Estonia for? I think this year is 13 years. I really don't want him to ask the question that we both hate. Mm. Why, why <laughs> did you come to Estonia? Hey, I, I was actually uh, on a boat somewhere. and um, Oh, Jesus, they came on the boats. Oh, Turn yeah, back the boats. Exactly. Now you triggered the Australia. <laughs> <laughs> Turn back the boats. Yeah, it, it was a stag party. And when I, I think uh, we drank too much and it was a few days later and uh, we came to the sport and they said, this is talent. And I said... Let me get off here, you know. That's not a true story. <laughs> Anyhow, I, I met a, a, a lovely lass in South Africa. And, um, you know, we fell in love. And I had to, to make a decision. Where do we settle? And mm. as an older man, of course, and she was a young lady, I, I thought I have done enough in South Africa. And it's time for me to move on. And uh, we decided to um, settle in Estonia. Mm. And two kids later, Sus and Simona, and yeah, that's what brought me here. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And again, I, I just like, how old are you, Paul? Turning 57 this year. Tremendous. Doesn't look it. Doesn't look it Doesn't at all. Doesn't look it at all. You I look older than him. I look, I've got the beard, <laughs> I've got the gray. It's smooth. Uh, the secret is uh, a few drinks every day. Okay. That's <laughs> <laughs> and Bobotia. And Bobotia. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right, that's an acceptable answer. I mean, mm -hmm. why we got to address it? What's the, the thing? What do you hear? According to his logic, I'm going to live forever then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So where does your, uh, and I know we talked a bit about this before, but let's go back again. Where, where What's your history with food? Where does it start yeah. with you and food? Uh, I would give most of the credit to my mom. You know, as a young bloke, I um, always observed. I had this natural feel for food. You know, it was something that was, uh, driving me forward you know I would watch my mom and I would want to take part mm. and I see parts of that now also in my own son Sus that um, when I cook he wants to be there he knows how to clean he knows how to put stuff away I don't ask him to do this yeah. I don't teach him he observes and he wants to do the same so I, I think if I look at him then I see myself back then when I was a small bloke that my mom played a tremendous role in my life you know uh, I, I remember when I was younger um, we had this bath and a wooden plank and um, and some sunlight soap, the green block. Mm -hmm. And I would watch my mom do the washing on this piece of hood. And she'd go to... With the clothes washing? Yeah. Okay, I mean, that's old school style. Yeah, okay, that's old that's, school yeah, style. Yeah, there's in no the, machine. In a zinc bath. Yeah, okay, there's no machine. No, here, no. Yeah. And, and I was so fascinated huh. by this. And I said, I want to do that same thing. And I would get on a, on a stool or something and I would stand up there next to my mom and I'd say, I also want to use uh, some wooden plank of mm. some sort. And I would go there and I'd do this with her. And it was great fun. For other kids, they were like, you must be out of your mind oh. doing washing with your mom, you know? But for me, I was fascinated by these things. Taking a wooden um, brush and, and scrubbing the floors and then putting some uh, cobra polish on it thick layer, wait until it dries, mm. and then you have another brush, and you brush the floors again until it shines. It's, it was miraculous yeah. for me. So these kinds of things fascinated me as a young boy. 
So I knew that cooking and cleaning and these kind of things would be part of who I am mm. because it was born right there. And um, so my mom led the way and uh, she would do weddings and birthday parties and so She's an amazing florist still today. Mm. She's almost 80 years old, but she's still going strong in this environment. So she would say, son, uh, we have this birthday party or a wedding or something. You need to bake some cake. I say, mom, I was 10, 11. <laughs> she would leave me in the kitchen. Yeah. She says, we need 200 fairy cakes. I would bake it, cut it up, decorate it. And when she comes back in the evening, it's ready for delivery. Yeah. So she, en she entrusted me with this mm. responsibility of taking care. And she understood that I would be able to do it. Mm. She would not entrust something in my hands that she knew I would not be able to cope with. Sure. I mean, it's all those sort of things when encouraging young people responsibility is the way to go and there's a little mm -hmm. bit of give and take and can they do it? Yes, they can. Is it mm -hmm. within the realm of something Absolutely. they could do if they've never done before? Mm -hmm. And then through that, you gain confidence as a young man. No mm -hmm. doubt you were thrilled that your mother had given you this responsibility and it sounds like you took it seriously and you wanted to do a good job. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and somehow, I mean, I went in a different direction after that uh, as, a, as a teenager and so on, went to work as a teacher and so on. Mm -hmm. But the food remained. You know, I could do, I remember there was a friend of mine, Werner Wessels, um, a very German name in Sernum, of course, <laughs> but not <laughs> German at all. Um, he lived in a town that was occupied by, or spiritually occupied by the Germans. Um, but nonetheless, um, I came to his apartment once as a young teacher, and he said, hey, Paul, we're going to have a drink, but there's nothing to eat. I say, mm, okay. I went to his fridge, I went to his cupboard, and I took out what I could. And I cooked a meal for the guys and say, but Paul, there was nothing in the house. <laughs> I say, there was enough stuff in this house to cook a full meal. Mm. You just don't know what to do with the things that you have in your fridge and in your cupboards, you know? So I, I knew what to do with things. I knew how to handle food, even though I have absolutely no formal training in this mm. environment, you know? But it was there, it was a seed that was planted and it just grew. Was that something years. as well like... Uh, the spirit, the spirit of the time or the feeling, okay, at that time in South Africa, mm -hmm. okay, you weren't rich people as well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so to say. And there was also a spirit of using what you had and learning to, to work with, okay, there's no machine, we've got to use yeah. the wood and put the clothes on it. Yeah. And so my mum, I mean, she was a miracle worker because at one point I remember my dad um, lost his job at Konsanis Engineering. My mum was a housewife with six kids mm. all in school at the same time. <laughs> Your father loses his job. He was the main breadwinner. Your mom is a housewife. And now all of a sudden you have to do with zero income. Mm. Six children, all in school. Huh. Uh, and somehow my mom used to make food every night. I do not understand how she did that. Mm. But I think it comes from there to make um, do with the little that you have mm. and to create miracles. I, I grew up also in a very spiritual household. You know, my grandfather was a pastor in the church and also a school headmaster. So there, that was now from my father's side. And, um, you know, it, it reminded me of the story of um, Jesus going around and saying, hey guys, we've got a few fish and we've mm. got a few bread and, and we'll make something happen, mm -hmm. you know? So my mom is almost like that kind of miracle worker. She could make things happen with little. I mean, that's mm. where all, all, well, it's debatable, but I, what I would say where all my favorite foods come from is, but it's, 
It's a, it's not a nice term, but poverty food, you know? Mm-hmm. That's what we, I was about to say, we say in Ireland. Is like, that what you want to eat, Tim? Not food that comes from poor people. But like, <laughs> exactly. We were poor growing up, and yeah. my mother would make fantastic stews out of nothing, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, French cuisine is great and all, but give me a stew or a pie. And yeah. Yeah. You know, I'd prefer that. I think one of the things that I I found lacking, I, I used to do cooking shows all over the country, right? Travel from town to town. I was in Parno, I'm in Tartu every month. I was uh, in Tallinn doing cooking classes every month for a few years. Well, you were offering your services as yeah. the, um, like a private classes or something yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, okay. yeah. Tallinn, Tirindu School, mm-hmm. um, Tartu, Rachvoli Call, and so on. And um, one of the things that people ask me, but Paul, why is it taking so long? They, 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 <laughs> what is this? I say, it's patience. That is the difference maker when you cook food. Mm. Uh, and so I, I get uh, five kilos of of beef mince. Mm. And so you can take that beef mince and make it into cutlets or frikadelle or, or you know, meatballs. Mm-hmm. And you can just squash it down and then do three minutes aside and you have a burger, mm. right? Or you can take two hours and make baboti mm. from there. Yeah, You know, you can take half an hour with your onions and your garlic and your starting ingredients and, and cook it down to a paste that is almost a jam. And then you add your other ingredients. So it's really about patience and adding value to what it is that you're doing with that food. And uh, for me, this is a critical component when it comes to making food. I put my soul in there and I give a bit of myself. Yeah. It's not only um, a quick meal, you know. People say, do you have onions in your food? I say, yeah. Oh, I don't eat onions. I say, but there are no onions in the food now. There's an onion jam in there. Yeah. It's gone. Yeah, okay. You will never see it and you will not taste onions. Mm but it adds to the, adds the flavor. Mm-hmm. Without jumping to the end of the story a bit, how do you see um, uh, how, how your business grows and how you scale that? Because we've seen over the last, let's say five years, the growth of, let's say burgers in Estonia. Okay, mm-hmm. everyone's got a burger van now, everyone's got burgers, that's fine, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. And we've seen a whole bunch of them that started really good when it was one store and mm-hmm. you know we know the bloke, but then they expanded, they expanded and there's only so far they've been able to hire enough people at a certain, you know, the quality dropped off. Mm-hmm. It's still okay. You probably still get a burger there, but you remember the good old days, mm-hmm. how it was mm-hmm. better. Like, have you given a thought to how you're going to be able to scale what yeah. you do? Um, if we talk about scaling, I mean, we had this food truck only last mm-hmm. season, and now we have the space in Baltimore as a store and bringing the food truck back also to a different destination, starting initially in Teleskivi. Um, Definitely, this would be growth already. Oh, absolutely. Sure. Um, two destinations. And um, there were many requests. I even had a, a guy from the UK saying, I'm willing to invest. Let's take this product and explode it. And I say, I'm not in that market mm. to explode the things very quickly and to put it everywhere in the country and then take it to Latvia and Lithuania and say, I want to grow this thing slowly and always keep the same high value and quality. Mm. Uh, I had requests. You give us a recipe, we cook it for you. Mm. You know, uh, and this was normal request from people saying, "I help you. I put some money in your business, but we get a few chefs, and you just give the recipe." And I say, at this moment, I'm still cooking with my soul. Mm. You know, I need to train one or two persons with me for a few months so they understand what it is that we need to do with the food. And uh, so I'm not in a particular hurry to make this happen. The patience is here yeah, as well. Patience. And uh, it, because I walked through the old town some years ago with a friend, Diego, 
And I said to him, when I start a food business, I want to offer people something really amazing at a very reasonable price. Mm-hmm. And I want to maintain that all throughout the business cycle. I don't want to change that mm-hmm. at all for no one. So it's not about making money. Money's okay. Mm-hmm. It will come. But it's maintaining that high quality and standards all the time. Because see, that's the thing. Like behind, behind a great product, like a food product, there's usually a great person behind it, you know. But then when you explode mm. massively, mm-hmm. let's say I don't know, you Selver wants you to wants to buy your pies, and you have to get a factory, and mm-hmm. like the per- the individual loses control of things, kind mm-hmm. of, and doesn't mm-hmm. get their hand in the the product every day. So yeah. that's why the quality can kind of run away from you. Well, something like your Selva example there, not only, like, let's theorize, right? Mm-hmm. So big company wants, big supermarket wants a lot. Mm-hmm. Not only would you have to ramp up the production, mm-hmm. which means more chefs, mm-hmm. less time to train them, but the way that your product is sold is completely different. Mm-hmm. Now, when people come to you, they remi- I remember this bloke. I remember this, this bloke here, the seller in the van or wherever. Mm-hmm. He's got a story. He's yeah. got a smile. Mm-hmm. It's a destination. If I'm just buying the pie out of the back and mm-hmm. Selva bringing up the thing, yeah, it's yeah. got a ticket. Half this is of them are being chucked out because they're, you know. Right. And Selva, you know, yeah. even if they're still making a profit off that, that's mm-hmm. some, that's a bit of the soul as well in the yeah, product. Yeah. For me, it's uh, I, to have this conversation with people mm. is very important. I, I don't think I will be able to do it without that, yeah. and that's why it's so painful for me. Um, I think to hand over, because this is an important part mm. of this whole equation. To say I now give over to someone, so I have one or two persons in mind already that are, um, you know, that I feel they have the right kind of connection with the food, mm. and one of the blokes who uh, I have in mind. He eats the stuff all the time and he talks about the food mm. when it comes to me. You know, he shares his experience and his, his emotions around. And he invites me to his house next week to say, Paul, I want you to come and have a bite with me also. I'm going to cook for you. Okay. So I feel that, you know, I feel that connection. And for me, this will be the critical difference maker when it comes to choosing a person mm. to replace me in Baltia Matur, you know. Uh, somebody that can reach out to people and say, how are you doing today? And have the small conversation. The small talk is, is important. Hmm. No. That's very interesting. How to how to do that and do it well without being an El Haver fuckhead in the middle of the mall who hijacks <laughs> you mm-hmm. and makes you feel weird. Yeah. Like, cause they're just well, kids. I suppose they have like, they have um, not dead, deadlines, they have like, quotas that they got to meet per, per day or some yeah. shit, right? So they or have to- target of some sort. Yeah, they have to be like, hey, you, sure. you, come over here. Whereas mm-hmm. when it's just some friendly guy going like, hey. Right, I think those El Haver, those ones in the mall, I mean, you know who mm-hmm, I'm talking mm-hmm. about, whatever, you, El Haver, Terrier yeah, yeah. in the mall. I think those, they're getting more uh, kids doing that because now you can't go to America to sell books. Mm-hmm. It's the same personality that used to go sell books <laughs> yeah. with whatever Western yeah. Express, whatever the fuck it was called, Western Experience. Yeah. Uh, it's that same kind of thing. Um, but it's not because it's not personal though. That's mm-hmm. why I don't want to talk to them. I don't want to. I don't need to buy El Javier. Yeah. Frig off. Yeah, um, yeah. Where there is a way, because now it feels like in Estonia that uh, El, uh, yeah, it was El Javier were the first one to do mm-hmm. this, mm-hmm. and they sort of proved it that they kind of built their bank off the back of people in malls, mm-hmm. and that's how mm-hmm. they without you know how they built a bank from scratch. Yeah. And now it seems like, oh yes, that's what we need to do. So mm-hmm. Telia is doing it and there's a you know, they'll cost you 
in the mall. And it's like, no, you're getting the wrong idea. Like mm -hmm. the trick worked once mm -hmm. with El Jave. Mm -hmm. Okay, fine. Over a couple of years, everyone got banks. But now we're like, Talia, off. Now we're like, no, 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 no. I don't want this anymore. Now, if you do it because they're not doing it with soul and heart, mm -hmm. it's just mm -hmm. the company, this is a tactic. Or yeah. it's not a, this is not a tactic for you. This is mm -hmm. the core of but who also, you are. Yeah. Also, they're Estonian people. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, if I uh, had a, a food business or whatever, I'd be, mm -hmm. I'd have this same exact, and it's natural for, for, for us to be able to go, hey, man, how's it going? You know? yeah, Whereas yeah, yeah. the Estonians are very like, we have product, hey, come mm -hmm. buy product, you know? Yeah. I, for me, uh, sometimes the people who clean around, I mean, I, when I came into the market, the first Sunday, I took two trays of pies. And I walk around the market mm -hmm. to all the stallholders, and I handed out pies to say hello. Yeah. I'm inside now. My name is Paul, and I would like to meet you. Initially, there was this, "Oh my God, what are you doing?" You know, <laughs> oh, but I'll take one. But uh, yeah, okay. And um, in the evening, when I see the cleaning ladies come past and so on, and I say, sometimes I would just sneak past them and go to the trolley and put the packet of two pies <laughs> in the trolley. They don't know that I put it there. Yeah. So the next day they come back and they maybe say something in Russian or in Estonian. And I say, no worries, you know, you do your thing, <laughs> you know. So I, for me, it's natural for me to give. You know, I, I, I just can't stop doing that, right. you know. So those cleaning ladies, I mean, they almost down out on the luck with the kind of salaries that they earn. Yeah. So a nice warm pie or two pies to take home to the family, mm -hmm. uh, it, it makes a big difference to their lives, you know. Like that's the difference between El Jave and the likes of mm. Pobotias. El Jave, they're motivated by profits. It's mm -hmm. all they care about. Mm -hmm. Whereas really the goal should be to just increase the net happiness of the world, you know? That's mm -hmm. that should that's the goal. Yeah. Fuck profits, you know? Money's yeah. nice. Sure. But it's not everything, you know. Yeah, I mean, in, in the market, uh, maybe I should not say this, but yeah, in the market <laughs> we have a, uh, as I say, I, I spoke about earlier that it's sort of my mission in life to build a community within the market. And uh, I make a point of going and greeting as many people as I possibly can in the morning and say, buongiorno, buongiorno, you know, privet, как дела, хорошо, and so on, you know. Uh, even Tere, homikust, and so on. And... Um, just staying connected to the people and uh, so what you're gonna have today, you want a chicken pie, you want a chicken bacon, you want a chicken curry, you know, whatever you want, I'll send it downstairs or upstairs and and then somebody will send me something to eat, you know, and it's uh, an exchange economy, you know, mm. we're looking up, I don't wanna eat pies every day, you know, for <laughs> yeah, breakfast. Sure. So, uh, you know, now so. and again, I want a different meal, you yeah. know. So then somebody will send me something nice and it's, a, it's, it's that kind of spirit I think we call it in South Africa the spirit of Ubuntu. Ubuntu, yeah. yeah, yeah. I am because of you and because of you I am, you know. Hmm. You are me and I am you. We're connected, you yeah. know. And uh, uh, it's it's not only a South African thing, even though the word comes from there, but it's something that is possible everywhere that um, we care about each other in such a way that I believe that you make me different. And because of you I am, you know. So that is completely possible. I feel like, Tim, it took... I. I feel like, I don't know, I've been here for too long and I got too adapted or something. Like, it took you to point it out, Tim, that this culture exists in Baltiyam Turg, mm -hmm. of that it, it was like, and it was a, 
like a real thing. I first, I think at first I sort of went down there and went, oh, okay, there's a couple mm. of fucking itites doing their thing mm. cooking there and there's some Chinese guy cooking like, all right, you know, mm. okay. Mm. And then it sort of to really sink in, like this is a real market. Yeah. This mm -hmm. is a real, I mean, that's the, you know, you, you had to point that out yeah. to me, th mm. these experiences. Because like when I walk through Baltiam, like it's not just, oh, Tim is here. He might buy a steak. It's like, oh, just, just mm. hello, you know? Oh, yeah. yeah. And if I'm there to buy a steak, I am. If I'm not, I'm not. But I can still say hello to the guy and mm -hmm. how are you doing? And oh, yeah, great. Yeah, I might be back tomorrow, whatever. You know, it's because for me, it's like I've talked about this ad nauseum on this podcast, but mm -hmm. it's like it, 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 you have Ubuntu. Mm -hmm. I have just being from County Kerry on the west coast of mm -hmm, Ireland. You know, mm -hmm. it's the same exact thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, we don't really care about ourselves so much. We, you know, we're all raised to just give everyone everything. Yeah, give yeah. you the shirt off my back. I don't need a shirt. Just walk yeah. around topless. You know what I mean? I, I have an Irish brother-in-law, Michael Burke. And he lives in Leeds with my sister Lillian. And uh, I mean, first time I met Mike uh, in Cape Town, I didn't have place to sleep in my house. Mm -hmm. And Mike said, come on, there's a floor. And I said, you know, I'm not the white man. <laughs> so here's a white man coming to my house. Yeah. And he says, I'm sleeping on the floor. <laughs> and I said, there's something wrong with this bloke, you know. <laughs> but he's not South African, of course. He's uh -huh. an Irishman. And yeah. for him, the floor was the best thing. Uh. And he slept on the floor and he was a happy man, you know. Yeah. So it was that for me was also a learning experience, you know, mm. to say there are different kinds of people in the world, you know. Not all of them are the same. But this, we're lo I, f I feel like we're losing the spirit a bit. Like every time I go back home to Ireland, and I mean, Dublin is a city like any other. Mm -hmm. But there's this like... It's like the city is sapping the soul out of the country. I go back and everyone is just bothered all the time now and mm. glued to their phones. People talk to each other less. Mm -hmm. Fuck knows what's going to happen now that the pubs have been closed for 16 months. Mm. Christ, yeah. But, uh, you know, that kind of spirit, it's certainly being sapped out of Ireland, mm -hmm. which mm. is concerning. That's why I double my efforts here in Estonia to look after you fuckers yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to try and give something back, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um... Where did you grow up in South Africa? I grew up in the Western Cape, in Cape Town. Okay. Yeah. Are you, are you right a, a rugby fan, are you? You know, I... Oh, break, break yeah, yeah. I, I love rugby, and I played a bit, you yeah. know. Uh, also picked up an injury while playing on my knee. And uh, that was as a young teacher. We had this thing where we had this teacher, high school, Derby. Mm -hmm. the, the first team of the school plays against the teachers. Okay. You know, once <laughs> a year. Yeah. And... I was stupid enough to think this is a good idea, <laughs> you know, because these blokes you teach them in high school, this is like grade 11 and 12 boys, mm. right? Mm. Now, you know, South African blokes are not small when it's <laughs> yeah, rugby. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and I'm not the tallest guy in the world. So I was skinny still as a teacher. I think I was around 67 kilos, right? Yeah. But I'm fast. I was a wing. Yeah, I okay. played on the left wing. And, mm. you know, man... These boys, because I also coached the athletics, I did 100 meters for, for uh, the school. So, and they see you as a young bloke that's a bit cocky, and there might be some of the schoolgirls that like this new teacher. He just came out of university, he's fresh and young, yeah. and they don't like you because they're not too, you know, I'm 23 years old, they're 19. Yeah, so okay, you're not, not that old of that. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And you know, and, and on this day is their day okay. to pay you back. Yeah. And, you know, I tackled one of them, collarbone hospital, <laughs> right? So then my turn came, you know, I'm on the left wing, I'm alone. The teachers are already, the pack is folding all the time because they don't have the stamina anymore. 
The director's also playing in the school and so on. You know, the old blokes. Yeah. And after five minutes in the field, you can already see the guys. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so I'm seeing that I am unprotected on the left wing. You know, there's nobody anymore. People are sitting down a bit, you know, resting. <laughs> teachers. Yeah. And, so. yeah. and at one point, Muhammad and another guy. Muhammad was a taxi driver. In Africa, if you're a taxi driver, minibus taxi, you respect it. Yeah. Uh, you know, some gold teeth and so on, mm -hmm. you know. The gangsters were afraid of him. So He was a teacher him. or? No, no, student. One of the students, okay, yeah. yeah. So he drove those minibus taxis. And in Mitchell's Plain, where I was teaching, this is something that is for hardcore guys, you know. Mm. Anyhow, Muhammad is there on the center, and there's another guy on the other side on the wing. And they decided they're going to do a high up and under towards the left wing. Okay. They isolate me completely. And it's one of those balls that hang. Hangs in the area. It hangs and say, Jesus, just come down, you know. I need to grab it, just sidestep and kick it again. Uh -huh. This ball doesn't come down. At that time, I see the two of them coming, one down the line, one from the side. I'm alone. And I think, what do I do? I stand my man. I stand my ground today. Why go for the ball? I made the wrong decision. I went for the ball. <laughs> <laughs> go up. I'm up and I just say, poof. Oof, they take you out the legs air. out <laughs> you know i'm on the sideline the girls they go crazy <laughs> because it's payday you know <laughs> it's payback time mm. i'm lying there on the side i can't get up properly mm. hospital knee operation <laughs> you know so they got me okay so that was the end of my rugby career Pity. you know because rugby is one of the it, it like in in Ireland, the UK, like rugby is seen as kind of an upper class sport, mm. but in South Africa, it's it's it was one of the great unifiers it after independence. Oh. Well, uh, independence, I guess, or yeah. unification or whatever. Because I don't know if you remember the nineteen ninety five World Cup. Nelson Mandela came down. Uh, South Africa won, and he, mm -hmm. Nelson Mandela came to the trophy celebration, shook hands with Francois Pinar, the the mm. captain, and that was like uh, one of the great moments yeah. in South African history. And Mandela right? wore the same jersey yeah. number. Like For such a fractured com uh, yeah. country at the time, that was... Uh, that night, I think, white people and black people hugged each other on the streets. Yeah. The first time. Wow. They were emotional about this. There was real hope, like, yeah. in the country. It was okay, proper that. hope, you know? Yeah. So sure. It was an amazing experience for people. Huh. Yeah. So interesting days. Um, there's a certain... I mean, I've, I've not, I would say, uh, knowing South African people, I've met, sure, I've met all kinds of South African people over the days. Mm. I don't know if I've really got to be good friends with, uh, with with the South African, let's say, in my life, but the ones that I've kind of known, especially, let's say, of your generation, Paul, they are the hardest motherfuckers I've ever met in my life. Mm. Like, tough, like, you'll be fine, like, cool, calm, and collected, mm -hmm. but you start talking, you go, like, you're a tough, hard motherfucker. Like, mm -hmm. from what you had to go through as society like it's so many successful businessmen mm -hmm. successful in so many areas of life black and white mm -hmm. as well mm -hmm. it just sort of like it just dawned on me a while like if you lived through those days mm -hmm. and now you come to a fucking gentile country like here where yeah. everything's nice and you know relatively and so forth i mean you take that attitude you start doing well you take that work ethic that commitment that that drive it I'm, I'm sometimes scared of myself because I feel I'm a bit too fearless, mm -hmm. you know? But it comes from that environment, you know? Yeah. Historically, we were in a position where we always had to be on the lookout, number one, for the security police, for police in general, for an army truck that comes around the corner. You always had to watch out, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, 
and still at the same time you had to be ready to throw a few rocks at these guys mm-hmm. you know you knew they had uh, uh, r4 machine guns and stuff and you knew life was at risk yeah. but you would take that gamble you know you would stand up for what is right and uh, so as as young boys uh, we we grew up with the idea that your life could be taken away from you any time but you were not afraid of it you know i remember um, as a young teacher i taught at the school where poverty was probably one of the main topics every day mm-hmm. uh, about 75% of the people were unemployed drugs you know of all kinds mm-hmm. formed mm-hmm. part of the community and i had one boy in my class who came with a kind of machete in his back every day and i could not take this away from him because he needed to go home in the afternoon and this was his means of survival right so for him this was normal and for many other kids you would have gangsters coming onto the school and you had to intervene as a teacher hmm. so um you had to have as my mother would say balls of steel to make it out there um i remember one time where we had a small battalion of army guys hmm. living on tents on the school premises so that we could continue with schooling to keep l- order yeah in the community it was that bad hmm. so um and and then i i mentioned it to a few teachers when i came to estonia because i um in later years you know started um with another person we were the two founders uh, members of um or more than two a few of us the founder members of the european school and uh, i mentioned it to some of my teachers that being in the european school is but weird for me because everything is so okay <laughs> it's so peaceful uh, people complain about stuff that i can't even <laughs> imagine yeah. that people can complain about you don't have to go like Whoa. <laughs> no no i say you your kids come to school and they are traumatized because there was youthful shooting on their way to school mm. and they have to sit through the class and they have not eaten this morning Uh, I, I with my grade 12 class later years we decided on a project we raised some money through hard times and we painted the classroom sanded our desk you know varnished it and uh, put a kettle in toasters and stuff to make sure everyone just had to bring a two rand per week mm. which is the equivalent of say roughly 10 cents mm. and with this we went to the supermarket and we bought tea coffee bread so at least you had a sandwich in school every day yeah. so during break times because we don't have canteens in the schools mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you get a sandwich from home but during break times i knew they would not have that sandwich yeah. and we could sit in the class and make that you know so it was not only about teaching you know teaching was a secondary part of this whole equation in mm-hmm. terms of education it was looking after the social being you know uh, looking after that child making sure that they are safe Mm. making sure that they have a, a meal for the day that was so sometimes i sat in that office as a school manager and and parents come to you and students and teachers and they complain about stuff here in estonia in you estonia, mean yeah, yeah. Say, how can <laughs> that be an issue a boy would cry his heart out mm. somebody stepped on his new sneakers and there's a stain on there that he can't get out now and he's crying uh. and you take him to the bathroom and say come with me my boy uncle paul is going to wash this all for you you know no worries 
and he would be happy leaving there mm. with his new uh, 200 euro sneakers you know so <laughs> <coughs> and, and and i mean uh, i could take that 200 euro and and make miracles uh, at mm. my previous school when you back to south africa so You said you were 20 you you were 23 when you told the story of the the rugby game. Yeah. So what year is that? Or, or another question is how old were you in 1990 when okay, when Mr. Mandela is out of prison? <sighs> what was it? 64, 74, 84, 94. Um around 36. So you in, had been teaching up to Yeah, okay. Yeah. You were a teacher before that. Yeah, yeah. So mm. were, were you teaching in a segregated school as well? No, no. no? It, this is a coloured school. Colored you're a coloured man, you're in a coloured school. Yeah, yeah. You're a black man, you're in a black school, and you're a white man, you're in a white school. Mm. This is how you're the system works. Mm. So there was a coloured ministry of education, the House of Representatives, <laughs> and there was a white ministry under the national parliament, mm. and then there was um, no real black ministry. I was about to say, yeah. Yeah, no, no that didn't really exist. Mm -hmm. So uh, so that was the situation in terms of education in South Africa. It was very, very segregated. And the amounts of money spent would be X amount for white folks and, and uh, far less amount for, for colored people and then way, way, way less for black folk, you know. Even the social system in terms of uh, providing social justice for families uh, in terms of um, grants for children. There was X amount for colored people was quite big because... Um, for some reason it happened but for black people it would be almost non-existent to get child support from the state you mm -hmm. know so they were very clear to create a buffer between white and black they have the the offsprings of their own spe uh, sperm or semen uh, to create that buffer so mm -hmm. even geographically there would be a black township far away somewhere there'll be a huge colored township in between and then you get the white suburbs mm -hmm. and and this colored community was almost a buffer. They worked for the white people. They, they had preferences that black people didn't have. And that's the reality of politics of the day back then in South Africa. You know? Right. So that's, that's very interesting because it's, yeah, you lived, it wasn't like, okay, I'm, you've lived there, uh, you've grown up in the year 20 and then, okay, apart, like you were, you know, an adult, right? You've lived a good, very good chunk of your life mm -hmm. under this regime and, yeah. and, And I was 44 when I came to Estonia, so mm. uh, it's been 13 plus years now. So, uh, yeah, I spent most of my life then experiencing this firsthand. Uh, I also had the opportunity when Mandela came out of prison. Uh, a few weeks later, I was called up by the ANC, by Teresa Solomon, who later became the first black mayor of Cape Town, uh, a woman of color also. Mm. She was my son in Cape Town. She was his... Um, the school principal of his uh, oh, okay. sp school, mm -hmm. uh, of his um, preschool. And Theresa became the first, uh, she was a stalwart of the ANC. She became the first black mayor. And I got the call up from the ANC, Paul, we, um, Mandela's coming to this region in the Western Cape and he's doing a road show. And we need somebody on the stage, you know. We asked some radio personalities and they all want money. And we know you're a comrade, you will not do that. So I was there on the stage and say, you know, raising the fist, you know, Amandla, where to Africa, you know, and introducing Mandela to the masses, you know. This was a big moment in my life, you know, to yeah. be there and to actually sit next to him and experience this man that just came out of prison, you know. Uh, it was a big privilege that I was asked by the uh, regional ANC um, 
you know, executive to to do this. Sure. How many people were there when in, in this town to see Nelson Mandela then? Probably, I'd say, fifteen thousand people. Right. So I was on the stage. Yeah, yeah. You know, as the MC, introducing <laughs> in front of fifteen thousand people, introducing Nelson Mandela, and cameras from every corner of the globe. Right also, on this Western Cape Road show. So, I mean, um, but I didn't take this too seriously. I was doing my job as a comrade. You know, mm. I was a member of the ANC, so. I was doing what was needed to be done at that time. And uh, afterwards, there's a big party and people go the evening. Uh, for me, it was just, you do your thing, I'm going home now. <laughs> okay, yeah, it's, it's, my duty. Yeah, it's, it's my yeah. job. Yeah, it's your job. Yeah, yeah. It was a privilege, I mean, to sit next to him and uh, to shake the hand of the man who, right. who was regarded as a, as a peaceful... Um, so this is before he was president? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah it before, was soon okay. after he came out. Soon after weeks. he came out, right. Oh, after a few weeks. Yeah, oh, yeah, he's Christ. So, uh, and uh, one of the things that impressed me most, you know, I don't know the small detail, but he always wanted to be a boxer. He was interested in boxing, you know? And at the moment when I sat down, he came and I introduced him, you know, and then he sat down and another speaker, Dr. Ellen Busak, uh, who was the leader of the mass democratic movement at the time, the, the ANC, they were banned. And then we formed another organization called the Mass the MDM, the Mass Democratic Movement. And then Alan Busak, he was the leader of this movement. Okay. And he then took over and I sat next to, and his hands, I heard about his hands, but I didn't realize when I sat and I shook his hands, his hands are humongous. <laughs> okay. I mean, he's a tall bloke, but I didn't realize that his hands were that big, and you know, my hands are not very big, but yeah, he's huge, Okay, you know? So yeah, it was, it, huh. as I say, it was a, an amazing moment in my life. Sure, definitely, definitely a memorable one. But uh, it's interesting that at the time you were like, all right, I did my job and now I'm going home. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I was an MC in, in I had my own events management company in South Africa called PSP, and I did events almost every week in summer. Oh, wow, know? okay. Yeah, three days events in a row, mm. like festivals and so on. I have the stage built, sound engineers, you know, Stalls, maybe 50, 60 stalls, and so I would manage. So, and the you're stalls. a teacher as well. Yes, I but was doing. On the side, you've got this business yeah. doing events, and it's yeah. not. Were you or like, if someone wants to do an event, they'll hire you to yeah. do all of that. Yes, I do the whole. I put the whole thing. Put together. the whole thing together. Yeah. I didn't have a sound engineering company. I didn't have a stage building company. I just outsource everything. Mm -hmm. So I managed the whole event also for the weekend, and sometimes I would have two major events on the same weekend. Not sure. And I have to manage both yeah. with my team, you know. So this was my, my sideline, if one can call it that. So, And I would MC both events, you know, and I would have also radio personalities coming in and, uh, you know, from Radio Guru or Radio P4 and whatever, and they would come and they would be sort of your attraction on the posters, you know. Yeah, of course. And they would do some extra work for you for two, three hours, manage a portion of the day on the mm. stage, you know. So that was a fun part of my life for around 15 years. That's a bit, wow. Yeah. I mean, it's not a short period of time, 15 years. Have you yeah. ever thought to, did you ever think that that's something you want to go back to or the food is really, that was the calling when you're now you're here? You know, in Estonia, when you say, hey, I, I can put this event together in 24 hours. Yeah. They look at you and say, uh, no, we've, we've got this covered. Then they take three months to put it together. And <laughs> yeah, say, okay. All right. Okay. You know, yeah. so I mean, I would pick up the phone and call five people and the event is done. Yeah. It was. It became that easy for me, mm. you know, because I would S SK Sound, Ellen uh, Baker. I need a stage. I need sound. I need. He says, Paul, it's done. Sure. 
It's because you've built those relationships. Those years. people know you. They yeah. know, right? They know what you want. Yeah. yeah sure. I call Media Twenty Four. Mm-hmm. They own all the media on the African continent, mm-hmm. right? So I say, uh, I will give you the opportunity to be part of this event, uh-huh. and I want one million rands worth of coverage mm-hmm. in every single newspaper that you own. They say, Paul, uh, what more can we do? <laughs> you know. So this is the kind of thing that you build up over years. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was just a few phone calls, and mm-hmm. it would happen. You know. So here yeah, people look at you and they say, uh, what would you know about the events? Yeah. So it's a bit sad, but. Well, maybe, I mean, maybe, again, maybe you could, but then you come to a new place, you've got to rebuild those yeah. relationships, those friendships. Sorry, you can talk to him, it's okay. Oh, do, I, do I need the key? Uh, no, you don't need the key. So yeah, so yeah, I suppose I right. I would not. It's it's hard work. Yeah, I promise sure. You. Yeah, yeah. yeah I believe. Work. I know. Well, I know. Putting on events. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Organizing big things, getting yeah. that all together, getting yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a twenty-five thousand people a day, mm. three days in a row. Sure. Yeah, having you know your security company, twenty, thirty guards, mm-hmm. because in South Africa you have to have that. <laughs> it's not a choice, you know. And uh, yeah, it's. Um, your electrician comes in a week before the time, lay out the whole place for you. Because okay. if you have six installs, you have to have sixty plug points and sixty lights, and mm-hmm. and you have to spotlights, and it's it's quite a huge task. You yeah, know? right. But I mean, it, it kept me going for many years. Uh, it's I was like an adrenaline junkie around these events. You know, okay. was that partly? How would you describe the balance between? Was it? that you had this energy and mm-hmm. you an entrepreneurial spirit and how was it how much like okay the teacher's salary isn't that good and you know you got to supplement that a bit you know when i when i started as a young teacher the first year i had a friend um, at the school who loved to do the school events he was also the um one of the executive members of western province athletics so he first asked me paul we have this western province meet this year you know there'll be all the school kids from the western Cape and we need a guy that can sit behind the mic, you know, during the day and do the announcements and so on. I said, count me in. Yeah. So I did that. Young teacher. Then he says, hey, the school's going to have this big event. You're new to the school. Would you like to be part of it? I said, you can even leave it in my hands. Mm-hmm. This was my first big event yeah. for the school. And it was, f- according to him, it was impressive. And then it started from there, mm. just growing, you know, rapidly. So it was just something that was, the seed was planted there the first school where mm-hmm. I started teaching. And as I say, Nabil Dean, he had a lot to do with this. And um, later on, it became clear that this is something that I could do with the greatest of ease, mm-hmm. you know? I talk to people. I go knock on doors. Mm. The guy owns McDonald's, he has five, six McDonald's. And I say, hey, Mr. Carolison, listen here, yeah, I'm gonna offer you an opportunity. For the media, I don't go and make a phone call. I go to the head office mm-hmm. of the media. And I say, this is what I need. And this is what I can often exchange. Mm-hmm. At one point, I had this African Baroudis come with a, with a truck to my house uh, during the festive season, mm. uh, delivering uh, kegs and, and, and draft machines. And then I put it up next to my pool. And this is for the season. <laughs> I don't pay for it. They would deliver it. Of course. You know? So that's the kind of relationship that you build up over time. You know? But it takes a lot of energy, honestly. Right, but that's what we can see you're doing here again. It's mm-hmm. the same attitude with the pies here. Mm-hmm. We're going to, I'm not just going to roll in and set up my stall and whatever and, and keep to myself. You're mm-hmm. going to be a member of this community. Absolutely, and I can't see me doing it in any other different way. Mm. And as I said earlier with staffing, I expect 
my staff to have the same kind of energy mm. and enthusiasm for this project. So, um, yeah, I, I suppose my father was, um, he passed away some years ago, but he was the same, you know, lots of energy. My mom is still, she's um, going towards 80 now, and she's still doing flowers for weddings. Yeah. You know? She will do the whole wedding. Great attitude. Yeah, she's, she's retirement is, I mean, she's not in the flower shop anymore, mm. but she does it from her garage at home next mm. to the house, you know. And not as many weddings and so on. But You've got to slow down a bit. Yeah. The story reminds me of, oh, we were telling the story on a previous podcast about uh, how McDonald's first came into the USSR. Mm-hmm. While it was still the USSR, yeah. McDonald's opened up a store in Moscow, in, mm-hmm. in Pushkin Square. And one of the, they say one of the big issues that McDonald's had to overcome at the time was, well, USSR not exactly known for its customer service, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. not exactly known for you know being friendly to mm-hmm. people. And I guess I was thinking about this story because we're like, oh, will Paul be able to find such individuals you know here in Estonia, mm-hmm. right? Not again. But the answer, the McDonald's executive at the time had a great reply, which is like at the time he's like. The USSR is the number one in the Olympics. Mm -hmm. They can train all of those young people to do the most amazing feats of athletics. Mm -hmm. We can train them how to sell burgers. Like it's possible. Like it's not this, everyone was like, it'll never happen. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, you guys Mm -hmm. could do that. Why can't you do that? And Mm -hmm. I feel like it might even be the same thing here as well. You think, oh no, in Estonia, you'll never find someone. No, no. So I bet you you will. I, I have found some amazing people also. Um, that I've used maybe for two, three hours to take a break mm-hmm. over the weekends. And um, yeah, they are they are there, you know, it's just about um, finding them. Finding a person that is totally not interested in and in, in, in trying to train them maybe would be foolhardy. Well, sure. You know, <laughs> but I mean, there are good people out there that are capable and I mm-hmm. think that we'll be able to pull it off. Right. Sure. With the right leadership, with the right direction Absolutely. that someone actually takes the time yeah. and has that genuine interest in them. and i think the key thing is perhaps to um take them to the kitchen also Ooh. give them an idea mm-hmm. of what it is that goes into the production of the pies mm. so that when they tell the story to people they understand yeah. exactly what it is all about you know where is it? are you what what kitchen are you cooking in right now i have a kitchen um, that i'm using in levelier street okay yeah. it uh, belongs to senior sal the um mostly the refugee council of Estonia. Mm. So uh, there was a point during December when I said the truck doesn't work anymore. It's too cold. <laughs> yeah, you know? too cold. And I needed <laughs> the kitchen and these guys reached out and they said, hey, Paul, we are willing to support you and uh, to provide you with space in the kitchen. I'm not the only chef in the kitchen. There are other chefs also, mm-hmm. but I have enough time to do what I need to do. So, um, yeah, this is where I am at the moment. But ideally my my goal and, and dream is in the next two years to have built up enough capital to buy a space, let's say 50 square meters. I don't want anything in there other than a plug point, water points and, and so on. And equipped it over time to the kitchen that I really want, the mm. dream kitchen. Not the restaurant, mm-hmm. just a kitchen, that's it. Maybe a hole in the hall where a, car, a guy can come with his car, or walk past and, and buy something while we're baking. Right, yeah, the factory outlets. Yeah, yeah, the factory outlet, that's the idea. Maybe at a good price also. Sure, and then su- using those to supply your different outlets in Baltium. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because I know. was wondering, because I have a friend who works in catering in, in Dublin, in Ireland, mm-hmm. and um, there are just commissary kitchens you can rent. Yeah. And I thought, like, surely that's a thing here, but I guess not, right? For me, 
I want to have my own place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's critical f- for the development of the business, mm-hmm. you know. I want to have the space and create it. It's almost like a, uh, a little uh, uh, an altar, an altar that you use um, for giving praise, you know, sure. to give you thanks. So, and I want to create it around my persona, yeah, uh, oh and yeah. train people in there on, on how to be with food, mm-hmm. not just okay, uh, put it in, you know, done. Know how to connect with food. Mm. That's important for me. That space is important. I mean, even something like this studio mm-hmm. here, right? They've got this. It's not just a random studio we're mm-hmm. going on to. Mm-hmm. This is our yeah. studio here. Okay, we built this up. Now we may even go to a new studio. So maybe it's your. Now it's Tim's going to be Tim's I'm studio. Take the studio yeah. So we're moving studios. Mm-hmm. We're doing to a slightly room, and Tim's going to take this room. So mm-hmm. now this is Tim. And the foam, yeah, we put the foam on the wall ourselves. We put yeah. the carpet down. We've had mm-hmm. this. This this room was the original Comedy Estonia office. Yeah. So that was, I want to say, six, seven years ago almost. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I had one employee, Marian, and we're like, we can't keep working from home. And so, yeah, we rented this little room with a table in the middle and mm-hmm. then another employee mm-hmm. comes and then another and it gets too big and we got to yeah. move out. So we kept this as the this room as the studio. So Yeah, I think that the first three weeks when I started the business, I work from home. Okay, yeah. Out yeah. of your own kitchen. Yeah, yeah cooking uh, them at home. Yeah. yeah. And uh and after three weeks my wife my wife said, This is just absolutely enough. <laughs> I'm opening the windows, it doesn't work. The whole house smells like food. <laughs> because I'm cooking yeah, on yeah. this house top. Yep. And then the small oven. Mm-hmm. So I have to be up. You're baking early. them in the home oven, okay. Yeah. That's gonna be slow as well. Oh and only so many pies at a time. Right, right, right. So right. it was a bit of a nightmare, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. Until I got this place in Frenchie. But I mean, so my wife just said, this is just enough. You need to find an, a solution. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, they found the solution, but it started at home. Yeah. There's the a few of those weeks. places now in town, like Burks, this burger place, some bloke makes them out of his flat in Liebelaya. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, you see it, like if you're on the Bolt app or whatever, it'll tell mm-hmm. you like digital only venue, because it's just some bloke. Yeah, in his house. So there's no pickup. They'll say, "Is that the idea? What do you mean, digital? Like, like it's not a restaurant you can go to and sit in and eat." Or sure, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, right. I'm not even. I'm not even sure you can pick it up. Yeah, it's can you? Is that? Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Do you sell your stuff on Vault or Walt? Or I right? have Vault. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's 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 a necessary evil, mm. if I can call it that, um, because I mean you have to give so much of your revenue to them. You know, twenty five percent is twenty five percent, and it eats into your bottom line in a way that you can't begin to imagine. So. Mm. It's um it's nice to have and I suppose for me it's a marketing tool, mm-hmm. not so much a revenue generator. Yeah. Um you get more people to know about your product and you get good feedback. I mean I think that we're still on five points, mm-hmm. which is hundred mm-hmm. percent. And so our rating is probably the highest or the second highest of all businesses registered on Vault. Mm. Which is good for us, you know. I mean you can use that as a tool as well and say, Hey, you go to Vault and you check ratings and see the feedback that people give uh, the feedback was 100 percent good so yes as a marketing tool it, it works it seems hard yeah, like you said i mean necessary evil comp- you know, connotations of the term evil but yeah. something you've got to do mm-hmm. uh because i was very surprised when i was in Padano, uh whatever a couple of months ago and i wanted that good stefani's pizza like everyone wants to do when they're in Padano, mm-hmm. and they're like uh-uh it ain't on vaults we've yeah. got our own delivery service call yeah. these i'm like call a guy mm-hmm. what and then he might like but I could see that the only way that the the the, the delivery services are so dominant mm-hmm. that the only way you need you would need to be like only a few big players mm-hmm. could possibly resist 
that. Mm. And okay, Stefani in Parno in that small market is mm-hmm. big enough to resist the vault and the vault. Mm. But I don't know if anyone... I, I would imagine it. there is a way to get out of this. Um, for example, uh, and I'm now not going against vault and vault here, mm-hmm. but um, let's say you have a... If all the guys in, in the market, for example, decide they want to do the in-house delivery, mm-hmm. everyone in the market, and we all put money in the pool and we register an ungovernmental organization, an MTU, and we say we call it X, mm. and we say each one gives 2,000. If you have 40 traders, mm-hmm. uh, it's 80,000 euro. It's enough to get some of the smartest guy to develop an app, right? Mm. And to rent as many vehicles as you want to and employ people. Then you do delivery service 100% for the market. Let's say with five vehicles and five drivers. Mm. And before you know it, you're covering Teleskivi and the whole of Kalamaya. Mm. And if you take that out of the equation, right, for guys like Bolt and Bolt, it will just sink them completely. Mm. So it is possible, right. but is the willingness there to do this? Mm. And this is so. not going against these guys. They have right to exist. But also anyone has the right to go up against them and challenge them. Mm. It's mm-hmm. business. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Yeah, that's the tough part because then you've got to be your app yourself. We saw this somewhat mm-hmm. with uh, similarly with the way taxis in Thailand mm-hmm. and taxis are particularly, I, I don't have a strong love for the taxi industry. I think they're particularly fucking stubborn, mm-hmm. but they're an example of taking the stubbornness all the way to the end. Mm-hmm. They tried their own apps, mm-hmm. uh, they, but then there was like five apps mm-hmm. for taxis and no one's like, I don't want. Yeah. five apps for mm-hmm, my taxis. Mm-hmm. Now, having said that, food and taxis aren't comparable because I don't have the love for a taxi company that I do for my food vendor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I don't specifically, I specifically need your pies. Mm-hmm. I don't specifically need any taxis, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. puts them even at a, a greater disadvantage than individual pies. Le- at least I have allegiance to your food. Mm-hmm. There's no allegiance to, to Tarling Taxi yeah, otherwise. Yeah. And But they... I mean, now the history tells that tale. There's only Bolt or whatever Uber yeah. left or something, and that's mm-hmm. it, and all there. There are some, I think Tulaka has one, and maybe Tarling still has their app for taxis. Or. Maybe they do, but mm-hmm. no. But that's, no, that's, that's a, a, a new problem in and of itself, because you saw in, in London, uh, they banned Uber mm. because the taxis all basically unionized and said, right, right. we're if not the, making money anymore. So. If the taxis have enough political clout yeah. to be able to do, exercise that, which they don't in Estonia. Mm-hmm. Estonia said, well, fuck you, free market. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you are. Yeah. Right, so, yeah. so if you wanted to all get together and be your own vendor, right? Yeah. If it, So if any significant, and let's say 20 a significant number of vendors mm-hmm. got together and said, we, we're going to do our own app mm-hmm. on our own terms yeah. and... But then, then it's like you've got to keep it just, or how to say, if you guys did all of that, mm-hmm. cool, mm-hmm. resist the temptation to expand beyond your current market. Mm-hmm. Because that's what I think, it's how you sort of end up going down this road of like, well, it's a business and all of yeah. a sudden it's the mm-hmm. next vault. Mm-hmm. How to resist that expansion mm-hmm. is, because that would be the, the thing. Yeah, to, yeah. To, yeah. But I think you need to write this up as part of the, uh, founding principles mm. and rules of the organization when you start out. As I say, you call it an MTU, mm. and you say, um, let's say, for example, you say, yeah, it's an MTU. the maximum is 15% that you can charge. Yeah. We start from 10 to 15% instead of 25, 30%. Mm-hmm. So you don't charge anyone beyond the 15%. So that's already a huge reduction mm. in the monies, mm. the revenue that companies have to hand over. 
you know. Right. But then you've got to still run an, a business. Yes, you, you, still you could run. easily do that with rented vehicles and some drivers. You pay them a decent salary mm. because the, there is no big profit margin. It's not the idea. You need enough to right. cover. You'll have enough money in there uh, at the end of the financial year to, let's say, we need new vehicles, whatever the case may be. There will be money for that. But you're not going to make hundreds of millions. That's not the idea. Because you're not trying to. You're trying to yeah. sell a pie. Exactly. Mm -hmm. You know. So you provide a service to your clients and you're providing it so that the, the, the small businesses are able to survive. Mm -hmm. I mean, if I have to choose between 25 or 30% and 10% as a small business, and my food can still get delivered, and the drivers are from there, and I can support their families, I would choose the 10% mm. from the in-house delivery service. Sure. That's my choice as a small business. Do Volt ch like charge the same percentage if I was to go collect the food myself? They charge 20%. Because yeah. that's that's a crazy one to me, you know. That's rough. Okay, yeah. that that's something where a company could potentially. I mean, I mean, I was sort of looking at your okay now analyzing yeah, yeah. the business plan of Paul. Okay, drivers coordinating. Okay, that seems like a lot, right? Mm -hmm. But getting an app just to take my order. Okay, mm -hmm. that seems pretty reasonable. I get some kid to code up some yeah. some individual app, but then it's another app. Okay, mm -hmm. but if you have a strong enough, that relies on you having mm -hmm. built a strong enough brand mm -hmm. and allegiance, which well, it sounds like you're well on the way, but mm -hmm. you know, getting there and then to overcome that resistance of going to another app. But also yeah. it's the fact that it would be a Baltium vendor app. Yeah. You know, Baltium mm -hmm. Turg itself is a, is, is a pretty strong brand. True. You know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you, if you bank off that, then it probably would work out. Yeah. yeah. I'm hoping at the end of, um, this um, podcast and for people to listen that there'll be already people standing in a queue with money, you know? <laughs> Who knows? Who we knows? never know. Mm -hmm. but, I mean, it's not something- Pies. Yeah. Pies. It's not something unholy to do. To it's go good, against Bolt and Bolt. Yeah, you're them, not yeah. going against them. You're mm. just creating something beautiful that is more meaningful mm. and that will help small business. And, it, and in essence, it will make the consumer feel better about their contribution mm. because many consumers come and they say, Paul, I will not order anything on Volta Bolt. I come to you because I know that in the end, I'm stabilizing your bottom line mm. if I come and visit and I get to talk to you as well at the same time. Yeah, you know? hmm. yeah I see what you mean. The, the food thing, it's a, it's a big one to, mm -hmm. to overcome that now, and I guess with the pandemic as well, this is what's because at first, it, when when Vault first showed up, I mean, they were just dropping cash nonstop to market their service because mm -hmm. they have to go from zero to a brand that everybody wants mm -hmm. to use. I mean, at first, it was just Vault, just mm -hmm. pay, pay. And that's the advantage that your collective would have, that you don't have to pay for marketing. Mm -hmm. You're not trying mm -hmm. to pay because that's where the money went with yeah. Vault, no doubt millions yeah, yeah. of marketing because it was everywhere when they yeah. first came. Take Vault, take Vault. Yeah, yeah. And everyone just... Um, you know, you, for those guys who are on this app, if we have a new app, they can also opt to be with Volt and Bolt at the sure, same time. Yeah, it it's their choice. Mm -hmm. So um, you, you're not the enemy of mm -hmm. Volt and Bolt. You're just creating something um, more beautiful. Mm -hmm. You know, and your competition's healthy anyway. Fuck them. It is. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I wanted to pivot because I wanted to ask you, like, because we 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 live in this country, Estonia, bright bright future. You know, tech. Ooh, yeah, it's cool to live in Estonia. Mm -hmm. Like. Uh, how hopeful are you for the future of, of your country, South Africa? Hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I dare not say too much about the country because 
my connection with the country is a little bit lost at this point. Mm. I, I don't follow up because I work so much. I don't follow up with the latest news and so on. But South Africa as a people, they are resilient. And mm. this is common knowledge. I'll say that. That's an you understatement know. of this whole podcast. Yeah. yeah. South African people South are African. resilient. Yeah. I would agree. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, wherever they go in the world, whether it's um, creating Tesla um, or doing the first successful heart transplant mm. with Dr. Chris Barnett or whatever the case might be, they have proven themselves to be uh, non-quitters. Mm-hmm. You know, we n- never say die, you know. So I am hopeful that um, something good will... So- I mean, there's lots of good already in the country mm. and there's a lot of trouble also, you know. The economic uh, outlook of the country is not rosy at all. I mean... Corona has caused a hell of a lot of damage. As you know, South Africa as a whole is a tourist destination for the world. Cape Town in particular, you know, it's one of the most attractive. Condé Nasta has voted it twice as the world's most beautiful place to visit. So, I mean, the world knows that. And uh, having two seasons in a row without this industry flourishing, it's damaging, mm. especially to the Western Cape. Mm-hmm. that relies heavily on tourism. I mean, the whole region is geared towards receiving tourists. So yes, it is going through turmoil, but um, you know, for every down, there's an up coming. And I believe South Africa will uh, bounce back from this. Mm. Absolutely. No doubt about that. Mm. Mm-hmm. Can I tell you my favorite Nelson Mandela story quickly? Yeah. Uh, I don't know how much time do we have left. Do we have, uh, uh, however you like, I'm, I'm good. Oh, so, hey, I have a poll. I have a four o'clock lesson. Okay, we'll wrap up soon. Right, but finish right. on here. Um, have you ever heard of Eddie von Maltitz? Eddie von? Maltitz. Uh, Maltitz sounds yeah. like a crazy tits, no? no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just asking. Well, you've never because heard that name Maltitz before. Maltitz crazy, no? so in, in tits. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Good joke. <laughs> <laughs> but he was, uh, he was a commander of the AWB back in the day. Yeah. The AWB was like the far right. You're not talking about Eugene Terblanche, no? Eugene Terblanche's organization, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But he, he was a commander in that yeah, yeah. organization. Mm-hmm. And when Mandela came out of prison, Mandela tried to contact Eugene Terblanche and mm-hmm. say, look, let's talk. Let's try and work this stuff out. You know, Absolutely. this violence is not going to work. Mm-hmm. So Eugene Terblanche said, no, fuck off. Yeah. Um, so Ma- Mandela reached out to Von Maltitz instead. And um, Eddie Von Maltitz was fairly radical, you know, self-admitted racist and all that. Mm-hmm. But he said, look, it, I'll sit down with him anyway. Mm-hmm. And over the course of one short conversation, Mandela completely changed this man's whole outlook. Mm-hmm. And he's still alive, Eddie. He's, he's a farmer in Fixburg. And I, I talk to him every now and then on Facebook. Mm-hmm. His mind is going now at the moment, so he's posting crazy conspiracy theories or whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it was just amazing how like one conversation with, with Mandela was enough to change this lifelong, mm. self-admitted racist, commander of the far, far-right uh, organization, you know, militant, trained his kids to shoot black people type of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And one conversation was all that did it. So yeah. What, uh, I mean, it, it sounds like an amazing thing, but can you provide any more context of this conversation? How does that- He just talked to him. Just, he lis- just uh, Mandela him. listened to him. Uh, I think that's the key. Yeah, just listen to him. That's the key. And, uh, and just said, look, we both want the same things, but, you know, it's not about black versus white. And he changed, it's, his story is crazy because mm. Eddie went on, because he lived, a, a, there's a, a small little landlocked country called Sesotho, 
Lesotho. Les, uh, no, it's, it's, oh, sorry. Eswatini is, 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 is the, yeah. the they changed their name Sesotho, right? To Eswatini recently. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he, he his farm is on the border. He learned the, the the language of that country, and and there's videos of him like before and after, mm -hmm. like Nazi salutes. Yeah, yeah, and, and then he's going through the town speaking the language of the people, and mm -hmm. and uh, it was just a, it's just a crazy story. Yeah. And so I, I just wanted to mention him because I'm going to send him this podcast and go, hey, yeah. I mentioned you, Eddie. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, there's, um, there's also the story of Mandela when he came out of prison. I don't know. Tell me, please. He went to visit his prison guard, huh. a white bloke. Okay. He, went, he came with his entourage. Yeah. And he came to this guy's house. To his house. To okay. break bread with him. Wow. You know? and, how, and the guard received him. And yeah. It was an amazing story. You know? uh. That's the nature of the man, you yeah. know. This is how he's, and I think all of us as South Africans have taken a bit from him and have learned, you know, that he told us hating is going to bring nothing. It's going to make you bitter, sick and old, you know, before your time. And I remember a story when um, a friend of uh, my wife's, she came to visit and said, I'm coming to visit, but I have a new boyfriend. And I said, of course. So, you know, um, hospitality is part of what I do. Open some wine. The guy came in, quite a big bloke, you know big hands and you know and uh, he sat down uh, affable smile and you know and he sat down and spoke about politics a bit and so how he feels about black people and muslims and so on and so on and that he is a member of ECRE and that um, you know okay and he shared his views on mm. now under normal circumstances you would put them out of the house you know to yeah. begin with he's now an ECRE member and so i bought more wine and i cooked more food and uh, we sat down and we chatted the whole night mm. you know and all I did was listen to him. Because, you see, the problem is that we are all right. You know, he's right, mm -hmm. and I'm right, and everyone else, we are all right. We can never be wrong. Because our conditions that we lived in, and the environments that we grew up in, and, and the stories that we heard from our family, from the church, from the school, that forms us, that makes us who we are. Mm -hmm. So how can we be wrong if that is what we grew up with, right? So... If we listen and we give this man an opportunity to share with us where he's coming from, then I get an understanding of who he is mm -hmm. and I can meet him halfway. And on the next occasion, this man came back to my house mm. and he wanted to hear my story. And he listened to me. Mm. And so now he had an opportunity to also take this information and work with it and then say, there's something else going on. Mm. I only had one version of what's going on in the world. Now I heard something different, right? And strange enough, he had this thing where they do this camping in the tents and they do this Second World War German Nazi songs that they sing the whole night while they're drinking in the tents. <laughs> and for some reason, he invited me to come along. <laughs> you know? Okay. And, and I could see this, bleak, this big African pot on the three legs with a fire underneath uh. and me being dinner. You know, being chopped up, mm. and they—that's why they're inviting me <laughs> okay, on, yeah. on this on, on, on this march and on this camp. And I said to myself, rather not. You know, I politely uh, declined the invitation to go on this march because, first and foremost, I don't know these songs. Mm. You know, so I would be a nuisance in the tents uh, while they're drinking and singing these Second World War songs. You know, so but I mean, mm. he invited me on hikes. You yeah. know. Because he started understanding there's another story that needs to be told. Mm. And I say, 
critically for all of us that nobody, no one is wrong. Ekre right. cannot be wrong because they're speaking from what they understand only. Mm. Right. And, and, and so does any other politician believe in what they believe because of where they come from. Mm. But it's about uh, the story that mom says there's a left wing and a right wing and a center. And if you cut one off, the bird doesn't fly. So, you know, the right wing has a story because they believe that they have been um, maltreated or treated poorly in the country. They've been uh, overlooked by other politicians. And so we need to listen to what people have to say. And if we get to that point where we listen with real enthusiasm and with an open mind, then we start reaching out to one another. If not, then there's constant conflict. I think this this is the, on those words, this, this is the final piece of the puzzle we've needed. We need the tour of Estonia. Mm -hmm. Okay, me, you, Tim, me. Dave Benton, James Verst, you cooking the sausages. Uh, of course. All right, absolutely. you provide the I sausages mean, and the pie. Yeah. We go around Estonia, mm -hmm. visiting towns, just cooking sausages and having beers. Mm -hmm. Hey, come have, a, yeah. come have a beer with us. Come mm -hmm. just have a sausage. You like the sausage? Let's talk. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a bit of sauna in between. A little bit of sauna in there. We're as you said, meeting halfway, a perfect yeah. example of mm -hmm. that. We'll do that tour. Mm -hmm. I reckon we can like knock over a lot of, not to say, I don't want to say that, get rid of prejudice. Of difficulties, right? That can mm -hmm. go a long mm -hmm. way. Just something like that. We're going to do it. That's mm -hmm. We'll get some culture money for and sure. The government. People just have to, because you know, most people, they, they, they don't listen. They just they want to wait for you to stop talking mm. so they can talk. Mm -hmm. Just got to listen. That's it. Mm -hmm. I like it. Absolutely. All right. Let's wrap it up on that thought. No, for there, sure. For the future. Paul, thanks for coming in and talking to us. It's been a pleasure and I hope that we'll get to do a bit more of this. Yeah, let's future. do it again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I can't wait to see. The, what? Pardon me. When does the van go to Teleskivi? Let's on wrap the it up. 20th of May. 20th of May. Yeah. Okay. So we'll be open, uh, say, from about 11.30 in the morning okay. and hopefully till 11 at night, you know. Good. Is it a Thursday to Sunday thing or is it an Thursday to thing? Sunday for now. Okay. Okay. So yeah. Thursday is the 20th of May, is it? Mm -hmm. And then, well, fuck it. We're going to be there, Tim. Oh, let's be there the 20th. Yeah, we're going to be yeah. there getting yeah. Sausages. We'll get a drink from James in the Budal bar and then come over there and have this. Is, this sounds tremendous. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Paul. Thanks, Tim. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Cheers. Bye bye.